And today I'm speaking out of the verse that says, Blessed are those are the persecuted, for they shall see God. And you know, I love that word blessed, and Isaiah 55 1 actually instructs us in how we position ourselves to receive the blessing. It says this Wait and listen. Everyone who is thirsty, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy priceless spiritual wine and milk without money and without price, simply for the self-surrender that accepts the blessing. Isn't that an interesting posture in which we receive the blessing is in self-surrender? As we lay ourselves down, his blessing comes. As we yield to him, as we put ourselves on the altar, the blessing comes. In order to accept the blessing, the posture is self-surrender. But here's the thing. The common posture of the Western world is self-sufficient. And it's always getting in our way, isn't it right? The wrestle that's in our heart that, you know, we, we try and tell ourselves that we've got it, it's all sorted, we've got this all together, that self-sufficient belief system of the Western world, but really it's in self-surrender that the blessing comes, that Christ outpours in our life. And Cameron Bennett says, to grow you need to feed, to feed you need to be hungry. Actually, that posture of, of receiving the blessing is in essence hunger, for Christ, hunger that surpasses that spirit of self-sufficiency. In fact, I think hunger is the antidote to the self-sufficiency. It will, it will shake off the apathy that would otherwise want to settle on our Western world church. Isn't it true? I think apathy is the greatest enemy here in the Western world and for the Western world church. But hunger is the thing that shakes off those shackles because otherwise we would settle for some ordinary existence if we let the at the dust of apathy settle on us, we would take a hold, we would yield to, we would be satisfied with an ordinary existence. But in him, hunger shakes off those shackles and it causes us to take a hold of him to a whole new level. And this, my friends, is the blessing of persecution. I know it's not popular. We don't want it. We wouldn't seek it out. We wouldn't put ourselves in a position to be persecuted. Any of our brothers and sisters around the world haven't asked for the severe persecution which they're facing in these times. But there is something that happens in that place of persecution. The scripture tells us it drives us deeper into God. And there is no more powerful a position than to be pursuing him with a hunger on the inside of us that will only be satisfied by his spirit. That is the prayer I have for our silver water, that we would not be content under the dust and the spirit of apathy, that hunger would cause us and propel us into a relationship with him. Come on, let's thank God here today. Isaiah 55.2 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your earnings for what does not satisfy? The biggest distraction of the Western world church is investing in that which is not bread, cheap, counterfeit, that which does not satisfy. Social media, cars, houses, this and that, monetary things. But there is only one thing that truly satisfies the human soul. There's only one thing that was made to satisfy the human soul and it's found in him, in Christ, is all we truly need. Our heart will find rest when we take a hold, we take a hold of who he truly is. Amen. 
we are called to let go of the trivial and the transient and to yield unreservedly to him who is coming back to fulfill the longings of every believer forever and ever. Amen. Right? We're called to let go of those things and take a hold of him. Persecution awakens us from apathy. I'd never ask for it. I'd never want it. But for that outcome, oh, I'm a little bit grateful because I would hate to spend my life asleep asleep to the power of his word, the power of his spirit, his still small voice. What if I settled under apathy and I didn't hear his voice? What a waste of a life, a terrible existence. If persecution awakens me, and it does, if it drives me deeper into him, then so be it. So be it, my friends. Now, I pray, and I mean really pray, I mean not polite prayer, not like it's a sunny day prayer. I really pray. I really pray out of a burden. You know those. Um. You know you 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 know, those weight burdens, that keep you up at night. It's that's what makes me pray. I actually pray out of a burden. Uh, you know if if life's a um you know a sweet sweet stroll down a little lane then it doesn't make me pray in the same way. It's when there's a weight, when I'm fighting for something, when I'm going after something, when I'm like a, a dog with a bone, I have to get that. That's when I pray. That's when I really pray. So it seems that we need something of a weight, of a test, of a training, of a fire, of an opposition to really awaken us to who we are in Christ. Amen. It says in Revelation 22:17, come. And let everyone come who is thirsty. And this is the breakdown of thirsty. Who is painfully conscious of his need. Of those things by which the soul is refreshed and supported and strengthened. And whoever earnestly desires to do it, let him come, take, appropriate. And drink the water of life without cost. Thirst, who is painfully conscious of his need. I think I I, am. You know, without that thirst, we'll miss it. If we're not painfully conscious, we're basically asleep and we'll miss it. I see this painful consciousness the most in praying mothers. Oh, oh yeah, I see them. I see them in the prayer meeting. I know their burdens because I see them. I watch them carrying them. I watch them fight for their children. I don't know if I've ever seen such a painful consciousness as on a praying mother, interceding, intervening for her child. Persecution awakens us to what is most important, what truly satisfies and where the power comes from. Amen. I want to bring up this pic for you. This is um, two weeks ago, um, popped up on Instagram. This is Pastor Richard Green posted this. He is a pastor in our movement who um, leads See Through Church Ride, just over there, a cousin over at Ride. And he's also um, deeply involved in, um, in shepherding and training ministers in the most hard-to-reach nations of the earth, actually. And he put this pick up recently, and he said, Thank you, C3 Churches, your help to sponsor this. It is one of the largest gatherings and training events ever of pastors and planters in Russian-speaking countries through to Central Asia, Turkey, and beyond to Persian peoples. They are reaching into extremely difficult places, ministering to Syrian refugees, Kurdish refugees in Iraq and Turkey, plus the refugees from several other people's groups and into countries no one wants to go. Planning churches, they are so courageous. Many start with zero and in places where there are no Christians and churches. 
They live on very little, yet see hundreds come to faith, but only after years of persecution and suffering. They may not be called hipster Christians, written about in magazines. They may not have blogs or have super hip multimedia, but they are the real deal. They are front and centre in the thrust of the gospel into all of the world. Their testimonies remind me of how little I know and how little I have sacrificed. Pray for these precious saints. Amen. Let's just give God a round of thanks here today for the ones that are pursuing him and building his church in those places. Oh, we salute you, mighty friend. You know, in these times in the earth, um, there are threats here in Sydney, but it doesn't even compare with what's happening on the other side of the world. But even so, our little local ripple is meant to awaken us. You know, when things happen in, in the news, local at Parramatta, it's meant to awaken us to a new measure of um of awareness, a new place of prayer, a new earnestness in our pursuit of building the house of God. It, it's actually meant to take us up to a whole other level. Blessed are the persecuted. This is what it says in Matthew 5, 10 to 12. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit you. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give a cheer even, for they don't like it, but I do. And all of heaven applauds and know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. What a powerful statement. So I was at lunch with Rhonda and Richard's wife, Kathy, this week, and I asked her about that scripture. I said, Kathy, when you meet with pastors in these persecuted areas, what does that scripture look like? The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. What do you see, Kathy, when you meet with them? And um, she said... It's, she sees a sheer steadfastness. That's how that scripture translates under great heat. It's like God increases on the inside of them and there is this steadfastness that comes upon them. She talked about one young couple who uh, have planted a church in Cairo. They've got two little girls and the heat is so severe for them in their current scenario. C3 Ride bought them a car. They had it for three weeks and then it was torched by the Muslims in the area and a note was left on it that you'll be next. This is two weeks ago they're hearing this story. This is so real, what's happening. And I asked her, Kathy, what, is, what does that scripture look like? What do you see in these people? And she says, a steadfastness on the inside of them because God is awakened on the inside of them. It's so powerful. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Commitment to God has always provoked persecution right throughout time. And certainly today, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and real. I mean, it's it described this way in Daniel 3.19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and his facial expression was changed to antagonism. I actually think that's one of the key words I would use to describe the face of the Antichrist and the spirit, antagonism. Now, the answer to this question, who are the most persecuted people in the world, is according to the International Society for Human Rights, a non-Christian secular group, this is the answer, 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world are directed at Christians. 
The Center for the Study of Global Christianity in the United States estimates that 100,000 Christians now die every year, targeted for their faith, that is 11 every hour. Oh, God forbid I would be found sleeping when others that have my faith are dying on the other side of the world. God forbid I would be found sleeping, not in prayer and not using my freedom to the nth degree, not taking my freedom and making it count. The only way we can honor the martyr on the other side of the world is if we take our freedom and build the house of God with everything that is within us. Amen. The Pew Research Center says that hostility to religion reached a new high in 2012. Things are heating up on the life of the earth. When Christians face some form of, of discrimination in 139 countries, almost three quarters of the world's nations. Now, all of this seems counterintuitive in the West, where the history of Christianity has been one of dominance and control. Ever since the Emperor Constantine converted and made the Roman Empire Christian, in the fourth century AD. This is why we sleep, because Christianity has ruled in our part of the world. Yes, please, Rhonda. For a long time. I'm going to need that again. <laughs> Yet the plain fact is that Christians are languishing in jail for blasphemy in Pakistan, and churches are burned and worship is regularly slaughtered in Nigeria and Egypt, which has recently seen its worst anti-Christian violence in seven centuries. God's people have never been immune from opposition. And some of you have known it very personally. There are a multitude of stories even in this room. Even the first record in scripture was Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain because of his righteousness. It began right at the very beginning. Job was singled out to be destroyed, another righteous man. David was hounded by his leader who was motivated by evil spirits. Daniel was thrown to the lion's den. And of course, Jesus himself was crucified at the tender age of 33. Just a young man, barely getting started in life. Now, what does persecution look like on a more local level? Matthew 5, 10 to 11 says, Count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit you. What it means is, is, is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. Many of you have experienced this firsthand multiple times in life where you've been discredited, you've been undermined, and it's because of who you are. Here's the reality. Religious people won't be persecuted in the same way, but those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are anointed, uh, will, will um, cause a ripple effect. It's because the Spirit and the power of God that's on the inside of you because it's like a, a spiritual tracking device. It's not about religiosity. It's not, it's not about rules and, 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 um, and ways. It's about the spirit that's on the inside of you. Many of you will wonder, why have I been persecuted? Why have I been pursued in my life? Why, where has the opposition come from? It's because the spirit of God, the anointing that is in you and on you, there will, it will cause a ripple effect, even more so in the days to come. Now, I had my first taste of this when I was a, a little girl. I was about 10. And I actually, now that I look back, hindsight's a powerful thing. Um, probably recognised that the bullying 
was parallel to the awakening of the call of God in my life. It was actually right at that time. I was about 10. I often share the story about how I, I knew that I was called to build the house of God. I had a very clear calling, word of God alive on, alive on the inside of me. And directly in correlation with that, the girl that had been my dearest friend, it's like she turned overnight. And she was a stronger, more dominant personality. And um, she began to spread lies about me amongst the play playground and I know this will sound trivial to some of you who have faced far worse things but as a little girl with a fragile self-esteem it really undermined me it took the wind out of my sails I, I would second guess it, you almost become um, obsessive compulsive about what people are thinking and saying because your truth the center of your truth your axes have shifted and you don't know where you stand anymore and you don't know who's with you and against you and it, it just caused this whole ripple effect this shifting but I know, like, right at that same point, the call of God was being awakened on the inside of me. And this is what the enemy does, is uh, just as a seed has been deposited, he, he like often leans in to clip the wings of that person. Because the enemy has often postured himself against the ones, because he knows that the harvest that can come out of the ones, don't underestimate the harvest that can come out of your life. When opposition comes, consider the harvest that is going to come out of your life and why the opposition is coming. It's not to be underestimated. You know, God has really kind of had a praying mother. She bought me a puppy. It worked wonders. It's amazing, the ministry of a puppy. Uh, and we, we soon moved to another town. And, like, I got, I sat next to, first day, like, the coolest girl in the school. And she was very kind to me. And he recovered what had, you know, happened out of that time. But I remember as a little girl um, feeling very real anxiety. I couldn't complete my homework assignments. And I remember the spiral and the effect, the undermining power of that incident. I was finding my voice and the enemy was trying to shut it down before it got started. And, you know, um, the way the enemy leans in and tries to close down the voice and steal the, sh the seed, it reminds me of this, his attempt on Moses' life. When you think about it, he came in, the enemy came in, and he, uh, he, he purposed to kill every child under two, every, every boy that was born, because he was trying to shut down uh, the, the, the rescuer, the defender, before he even grew up. He tried to close it down even before it got a start at life, and many times that's what he does. Friends, remember who you are. Remember the life of Christ is on the inside of you. You know, one of the signs that we are standing for something worthwhile is that we would be opposed. We're going against the tide of the world. Whatever glorifies God will anger the enemy. The devil is the patron of overkill because he recognized the power of one person's influence. And it's like he did in that time. He tried to take out a whole generation to kill every child unto two. But Moses, by the hand of God, was spared and went to deliver three million slaves and to lead them into their promised land, led by the Spirit, by the mighty power of God. Amen? What the enemy doesn't realise that that as he has inserted the thorn in my young side, it marked me. Yes, that experience marked me. If I can be honest, it probably took me... I don't know, a decade, 15 years? How long does it take to really shake that stuff out of your system and get really secure at yourself and just really know it takes a very long time? 
it, it took a really long time. But what the enemy didn't realize is that he inserted that thorn in my young side. It actually long-term awakened me to my worth. And he made a critical mistake that day when he lent in on my young life and tried to undermine me because it didn't shut me down. It only awakened me to my call. Amen. And this is my prayer for us today, that we would not be disarmed by persecution, but rather awakened by persecution. Because even Jesus, our mighty Saviour, knew persecution. In Isaiah 53.3, it says, He was despised and rejected and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. And like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. Now that line I think many of us can relate to when we have not been appreciated for our worth. Many times that's what persecution looks like in our local context where there is a lack of appreciation for our worth. We're not treated with proper respect or dignity when there's a misperception on who we are. You know, I'm speaking to a room of which the majority have potentially come from another nation to make Australia home. And I, I, I don't have any um, uh, romantic ideas that Australia has always been kind. Many times there's been cultural disconnects, there's been lacks of understanding, and people have looked down on us in different moments. Australia has not always been kind in, in its reception of people, and I'm sorry for what's happened. Uh, I'm sorry for the multitude of stories across this room. Rejection is a painful infliction. Rejection is not just about being beaten and jailed. It's a, a greater pain of re being rejected by the ones we love or sometimes just the ones we want to be liked by in work situations, in family situations. The seed of rejection is so powerful. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've heard numerous stories of parents needing to shift their children because there's been um, racial um, bullying happening in the schools and parents have had to move. And there's nothing worse than hearing a mother share her, her heart about the trauma that's been inflicted on a child because of the lack of kindness and understanding that's been shown to one another. In fact, this week, Rhonda gave me a powerful piece of advice. We were talking about this and she said, Nat, um, pray against rejection for your kids. And I thought, what a powerful weapon, and I thanked Rhonda for it, what a powerful weapon that we could intervene for our children, see forward into their future and block the power of rejection, that it would not undermine their confidence, that they would be upright, they would know completely whose they are in Christ, they would know what they're about, they'd have backbone, that they would be kind, good representatives of Christ, and they would not be touched by rejection in Jesus' mighty name. Because we don't wrestle about flesh and blood, long-term these scenarios, many times they're not even personal. It's that spirit that's trying to come, that rejection that's trying to come. Many years after that girl had given me a hard time, my sister asked her about it um, specifically. They now live in the same area. And she asked her about it and she acknowledged that she'd been particularly unkind, but she couldn't tell my sister why. She didn't even really understand it, even seemed a bit beyond her that she had been so unkind. And I think ultimately we wrestle against flesh and, um, not against flesh and blood, but about principalities and powers. That It's not even personal. It's not even about them. It's ultimately this spirit of rejection trying to come and undermine our young lives. Now, how do we win? When we respond in the opposite spirit, we win. Fight war with love. 
fight hate with forgiveness, repay evil with good. You know, I was um, speaking to a friend recently who'd been um, unfairly handled in his workplace um, and he had chosen, regardless, to have a good spirit and um, it was phenomenal where he should have been given leave multiple times. He applied for leave and it had been rejected, unfairly rejected. It had cost him thousands of dollars. He'd booked training overseas and it had been unfairly rejected, unfairly rejected, unfairly. And even in the concept, like as it all worked out, he, he chose to keep a sweet spirit. And I, I saw the power of how if we choose to be in Christ, we will not be moved. And the circumstances can't touch us and the bitterness and the resentment can't touch us because that will undermine us just as much as the rejection that comes against us. But if we choose to remain in Christ, we will be unmoved. We are literally untouchable in that place. It's incredibly powerful. It's so powerful. You know, Mother Teresa says this, God does not demand that I be successful. God demands that I be faithful. When facing God, results are not important. Faithfulness is what is important. You know, I think under duress and persecution, what does God expect of us? What does he expect of me? I think that we will be faithful to him as he has been faithful to us. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite the team to come up as I come to a close here. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us that love always perseveres. And I don't think we can undermine the spirit of God and in the inside of us and how it enables us to persevere, the life of God on the inside of us. Christ teaches us ultimately to pray for our persecutors and that's for our benefit. That's because if we can pray for them, it, we will be set free. Ultimately, we find ourselves in that unmovable, untouchable position. You know, we ask ourselves, how is this possible? How is it possible to pray for your persecutor? How is it possible to remain in love that endures? It must be superhuman. Well, yes, it is. It is the very spirit and nature of God. It's his Holy Spirit in us that enables us to persevere in love, enables us to pray a prayer genuinely for our persecutor. And it turns the tide. It, it, it unlooses the power of that position. You know, this doesn't mean that we're foolish or naive, repeatedly positioning ourselves to be tormented. We're not meant to be put up with inappropriate treatment, but we always have the opportunity to have the right spirit, enabled by Christ in us. We are ultimately blessed. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom, the scripture says. Persecution ultimately awakens us and drives us deeper into God. He is our great refuge. He is our great strength in Jesus' mighty name. Now, I want to share a story here today um, just to flip this whole thing on its head. Um, we've talked a lot about the nature of persecution, but what is so profound and magnificent in the wake of persecution is love and kindness because it's the opposite spirit. I want to share a story here today. I'm going to ask Laura to bring that pick up. Um, this is uh, one of Tony Sebastian's um, pictures. He's serving on the, on the Greek border. So where the Syrian refugees are coming in right now, he's there serving with a team amongst many others. And he said this, this is two weeks ago, he put up this post. Last night at the border, I was able to give the gift of coffee to people on the Greek border. I made Greek coffee Arabic style. Isn't that beautiful, Rhonda Savat? and help people feel human again. 
Several people had not had coffee in days. They were so excited to get some good and at times subpar Greek, Greek coffee. It was raining half the time and lots of elements were against us. One man during a slow time made some coffee for him and his wife. He told me that he makes this type of coffee every day for his wife and mother. It had been four days since they had coffee. He meticulously scooped the coffee, adjusted the burners and stirred the coffee. I was watching therapy in action. Another amazing guy came up and chatted with us. His English was amazing and he was also dying for coffee. He talked about his travel through the Aegean Sea. His boat sank. He was wearing a life vest but took his off to give to his female teenage cousin. He then helped his five-year-old cousin who was the cutest little thing. He talked about the waves, holding his cousin, swimming for survival. He was an orthodox Christian and said he felt God's presence in the water, helping him as he prayed. As he finished, he had the biggest smile. I was so inspired by his faith and his bravery. He wants to go to America someday and study music. Amen. What a beautiful story. There are many terrible stories, but that is a beautiful one that God was in the midst of the waves and that kindness was shown. The power of kindness in the wake of persecution is so powerful. I pray that we would be carriers of his kindness to all different kinds of people, that we would even be so big that we could even show kindness to our persecutors, that we could so represent Christ like he did, even when Christ was under the heat, right down to the moment when he was being taken to be hung on the cross. Uh, uh, um, Peter got zealous and he he asked one of the boys to, to get out his sword and he swiped at a soldier and removed his ear, even in that moment. Christ restored the ear. He picked up the ear of the persecutor, the one that would take him to the cross, and he healed and restored the ear. That is the love of Christ. That is the magnitude and the width and the breadth of his great love, even in the heat of persecution, that he could restore and heal even in that moment. I pray that we would represent him well in these days in the earth. Why don't you stand right across the room here today? Oh, Lord, I thank you for your love in this place. Just pour it out on your beautiful people in this room. I thank you for a great refreshing, a great move of your love right across this place here today. I thank you, Lord, you fill our cups overflowing with your love in this place. Kindness and goodness filling the hearts and minds and lives of every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, for kindness and healing in this place here today. And actually what I really want to do this morning is actually open the altar to pray for those that have been persecuted, for those that have been unfairly treated. I'm actually believing for a great move of healing and recovering in this room this morning. If you have been spoken to, looked down at, put to the side, overlooked, you've been unfairly treated, I want to pray today for a recovery of your soul, a recalibration of your soul. Some of you have seen felt terrible things, unspeakable things. And I want to pray today that you would come and position yourself on the altar and that God's love and power would rain down on you and recover and recalibrate all those things. See, some of us have scars, scars on our bodies, scars on our hearts, scars on our minds. And for some of us, when you touch that scar, there is no pain because it has been healed and recovered and it is a far off distant memory. But for others, something 
have even happened decades ago. And if you touch that scar, it still swirls with pain. It still bites with pain. Well, I believe God wants to breathe into those areas today and healing and reconciliation into those areas today that you would know perfect peace, that there would be no more power in those things in Jesus' mighty name. So as the team begin to sing today, I want you to come to put yourself on the altar today and receive power and healing in this place today in Jesus' mighty name.